Mac Power Users, Episode 24, Home Networking. Hello, friends. It's David Sparks here. Along with me is Katie Floyd. How are you doing today, Katie? I'm doing great, David. Getting back in the swing of this podcasting thing. Oh, yeah. I'm happy to be back in front of the microphone. I've been real busy the last couple of weeks. I went out to uh, Chicago for the American Bar Association's tech show and got to geek out with all the nerdy lawyers. Had a great time, but it's kind of nice to be back in front of the mic. You know, I think if you had said that to anybody else, they wouldn't have understood. Oh, that's great. You know, there are some really smart attorneys out there that are using technology in great ways, which is Kind of interesting because generally the profession is way behind the curve, but the people on the bleeding edge, man, they are bleeding lots. And you were the Mac evangelist? Uh, just me and several others. They have quite a few Mac attorneys now. I did a session on uh, using a Mac in a Windows firm, which was, was pretty popular, both uh, in attendance and feedback. And I did a session on just how I use my Mac. That was probably one of the funnest sessions. I did it up in the Conrad Hilton suite at the top of the hotel overlooking the Lake Michigan. It was just wonderful. And there were a lot of great geeky Mac people there. And we had the big screen up and we were putting our screens up, our, our computers up on the screen and showing some of our favorite tricks and tips. And I also did a session on mediation, which has nothing to do with the Mac, but it was fun anyway. It was kind of neat because I have all these great tools I've built in numbers. And uh, a lot of the attorneys there were trying to figure out how to do it in Excel and they were just, they were baffled which kind of was amusing. Well, and I'm sure everybody wanted to know about the iPad. Yeah, and, you know, everybody's interested in that. Um, I mean, when we record this, we're just three or four days away from launch, so uh, we're all excited about the iPad. So um, I think before we, we really dig into our show, I think we, we first need to say, wow. Yeah, we had great feedback to the first Workflows episode. You know, we talked about doing this at Macworld, and, uh, you know, I really, when I first met Merlin, I really didn't meet him with the intention of putting him on our show, but he was just such a nice guy. It kind of just kind of erupted as we were sharing OmniFocus tips. But I was really pleased uh, that he was so friendly and, and he was so kind to come and give us so much time. And, and we may be getting him back. I know we've got a lot of email from people asking. Uh, we'll be probably bringing him back in a little while. But, you know, we've got some other uh, Mac Power users that we want to do workflow episodes with. And uh, that that uh, component of the show will remain. I think we're going to uh, do it every three or four episodes. Uh, or when we have someone interesting, we'll bring them in. And uh, just so everyone knows, we've already figured out our next Mac Power user, and we're not going to tell you. <laughs> we got to make sure it happens first. Yeah. Is it Steve Jobs? If I tell you, then I'd have to kill you. Oh. Well, that's not going to make for a very good show, then. No, it wouldn't. Okay. But um, I do think we just want to say thank you to people for the overwhelming response. Uh, we were number two tech podcast in iTunes for a little while there, and that blew me away. Um, and I think we just need to say welcome because we've gotten a, a, a bunch of new listeners from this. So uh, if you're new to the Mac Power users, this is uh, a more normal episode. This is what we do. We typically produce two shows a month. Um, and we take one topic and we cover it in depth and tell you how you can use your Mac um, in all kinds of fun and entertaining ways. Absolutely. So let's get on with it. We're talking about home networking. Home networking. Now, this is something that probably most people do to some extent, and it a lot of people do it incorrectly or badly. Um, and I think most people just want to know how to do it better and make it work better. 
It's also a subject that you can go really deep on. Uh, there's some real you know, high-end internet lingo. Uh, we're not going to go there if we don't have to, but uh, we are going to kind of just do an overview of how things work and how they're tied together. So uh, to the extent uh, people want to write in with, with more detailed instructions and some of these things we're going to go over quickly, uh, have at it in the notes. All right. So I guess that begs the first question of why would you want to network your home? Yeah, you know, everybody networks anymore. The first reason you do it is for your internet connection. You've got, you know, one line coming in your house, you've got your pipe, and you've got more than one computer. And these days you have more than just one computer. You may have an Apple TV, and you've got an iPhone in your pocket, and a PC in a corner that you don't tell anybody about. You know, we've got all these devices. You need to get them on the internet. That's the first reason why to have a home network. All right. The other thing you can do with it, obviously, is file share. File share between your your family, file share between people who are in your network, um, file share with yourself if you've got multiple networks. Um, and you can also set up sharing of printers and hard drives. And it's getting easier and easier to do that now. It's it's getting easier and people are using it more often. I mean, the most recent version of iTunes allows you to throw uh, media files back and forth through the various computers in your house. I mean, that's a basic file sharing you do. And also people are increasingly getting interested in network-attached storage where they'll have one big repository on their network, whether it be a Drobo or a, a big, just a big hard drive somewhere in your house and everybody accesses it. So uh, you need a network to get that stuff going. Well, let's talk a little bit about the age-old debate of wired versus wireless. Okay, so let's hit wired first. All right. Well, obviously there are advantages to being wired. It's faster. It's more reliable. It's more secure. Why is it more secure? Well, because it's a wired plug into your computer. Exactly. You, yeah, you, and you, if someone's going to intercept your transmissions, they kind of have to cut the wire. The, the, the neighborhood kids are not going to be able to tap into your line. I mean, there's some great books about how the U.S. used to tap the Russian communication lines underwater. <laughs> so you actually could tap a wired I guess line. You could. It's um. It's it's really not going to happen in your in your home network. So you're definitely more secure, and the speed is significant. I mean, now you can get uh, wired up to gigabit speed, which is really fast. If you've got the proper hardware in your house, you can drive data around really quickly with with the copper line. Right. Um, there's some disadvantages too. Obviously, it is not built into every device. Your iPod does not have an Ethernet cable. Um, you're also limited by the cable drops in your house and, and where those drops are physically located. So if you want to move your desk to the other side of the room, that may or may not be possible without having an electrician come visit and drop you off a nice little bill. Um, and it's still really expensive to run cables. Um, I had I had an electrician here looking at the possibility of running some cables for some other usage and was going to throw in some Ethernet cables while we were there, and it was it was going to be, you know, upwards of several hundred dollars to run a couple of cables from point A to point B and yeah, had to had to think over that a little longer. And when you go to somebody's house and they've got cables just stretched across the floor, stapled to the ceiling, you know, you don't There like are that. those people and it is tacky. You cannot, you should not. Gosh, I feel like I spend most of my life trying to figure out how to how to hide tables or cables. It seems like it would be such a home fashion faux pas to have cables running along the floorboards. 
Well, every time we get new carpet in our house, I make a point of running cable um, along the baseboard uh, right next to the tack board. And it's really a nice way to hide cable and get it to pop up in various places in the house. And, you know, the thing that you can't underestimate with the wired is the is the cable speed. I mean, if you've got if you, for instance, want to set up multiple routers in your house, having a hardwired cable run between them is a really good thing. And we're going to talk about that more in a little bit. Oh, sure, because there, there's no you don't have to be fully wired or fully wireless. Obviously, most networks to some extent are hybrid networks. Yeah. So cable's good for your backbone and, you know, wireless works good for. Um, you know, the portability, which we're going to get into. Right. So so what types of cable are there? Oh, there are a bunch of cables. Well, first it was Cat5, and then it was Cat5e. And then I don't know when this happened. I guess it's been a while, but all of a sudden I went to Best Buy and was looking at cables, and there was this Cat6 cable. I'm like, gosh, it looks like an Ethernet cable. What the heck is up with that? And uh, it's got more stringent specifications for noise and crosstalk. It's basically, you know, Cat5 cable is fine, Cat5e cable is better, but you really want to start using the Cat6 stuff now because you're going to get less interference and you're going to have bigger bandwidth speeds. Maybe your device will or will not make advantage of that. You know, maybe you've got a gigabit device, maybe you're still on a 100 megabit per second device, but, um, you know, especially if you're making the investment of, of wiring your home, I think Cat6 is the way to go at least in today's standards. I've been, uh, the backbone cable I've got running through my house is probably about seven years old. So my guess is it's cat, cat five. five. Yeah. yeah. And it seems to carry the load just fine. So, well, the know. question is, is are you going to be able to notice it? And are your devices even going to be able to take advantage of it? Yeah. But you're right. If you're, if you're starting from scratch, why not put the best stuff out there? Cause who knows where we're going to be in another seven years. Right. And if you have the opportunity, you know, you mentioned every time you get new carpet running the, the cable along the baseboards, if you're doing a, a partial house remodel or, you know, if you're fortunate enough that you're you're building your dream home from scratch, um, man, put those cable drops everywhere. Yeah. Agreed. Because it, it, it is so inexpensive to do during construction compared to the cost of doing it after construction and you know, even if it's it's possible. I mean, there's some houses and some designs that it's darn near impossible to get wires to certain places. Yeah, I had a friend who bought a new house and it was it was a track home and it was under construction and uh, he was watching very carefully when they got to the framing stage. And we went out there on a Sunday and uh, you know all the workers were gone and we went out there with drills and just like loaded his house with cable everywhere and we ran it to every room and I think you need was, a permit for that. I'm I <laughs> I, I know nothing. Okay. <laughs> but he said he got a funny call the next day. He says, boy, we came out here today and there's a lot of cable in your house. <laughs> huh. I don't know how that happened. Yeah. Well, and you've also got to do a little planning in terms of where's all that cable going to go? Are you, oh, you going to make your yeah. hub in a closet somewhere? Or? Yeah, my, my dad was in construction. I grew up with a hammer in my hand. I used to frame houses. So I knew exactly what we were going to do. So it was fun. We had a great time. And, you know, it's fun working with your hands anyway. But I, I am so envious of him because he can go in any room and have, you know, the Cat5 sticking out the wall and, and get really fast internet connection. Well, hopefully it's the Cat6, but we'll see. I don't We did it like five years ago. Oh, so. okay. Well, you know, who knows? Anyway, uh, you know, so let's move on to wireless. But before we do that, let's talk about our sponsor, Smile on My Mac. Yay. Smile on My Mac has a great product. Tax time is almost here. And um, 
for more than tax uses, really just just everyday uses, PDF pen. I was thinking about PDF pen today because I was using it for something. Uh, one of my usages for it, and this has kind of come out in some of our prior episodes, is uh, I get a lot of documents in my work and a lot of times I have related documents. And, you know, it's a group of 10 or 15 documents that all have something to do with one another. And I've gotten the habit in PDF pen of loading them all into one PDF document. And this actually only works with PDF pen pro because they have a table of contents function in there. And what you can do is then go in and bookmark each document and each sub portion of that document. So I'm sitting in a room with a guy and we're talking about the relative documents that in his case, and we have the contract and the letters and the attachments and I've got it up on a screen and I just keep jumping through the index and like we'd say, well, let's look at the venue clause and I push the button and it jumps right to that section and it's highlighted. And, and we got done with the meeting and he was saying, man, you are so organized. Uh, you know, and so I said, well, would you like that? He said, yeah. So I copied it onto a thumb drive. It's my client. So he took it, put it on his computer and he had the benefit of all that work. And, you know, it just made me look really good. And it, it is true. It's very easy to get access to that kind of information. So whether you're putting together your taxes or, you know, just anything for your home or your business, um, that's one really nice feature you get in PDF Pen that, you know, is not easy to duplicate. And I guess this is really in PDF Pen Pro. But uh, as I was thinking about that, you know, that really is worth the money to have that application. Sure. And are you OCRing all your stuff as well? Well, yeah, because you can do it right in the application. Once you build this kind of master document with with you know the sub documents in it, you just hit the OCR button and you can search all of them at once. Yeah, and it's surprisingly accurate. OCR technology is is some of that technology that has gotten quite a bit better over the multiple generations. So, and and they also just added um, improved OCR with one of the recent releases, one of the recent updates. So it's supposed to be even better. I think they changed the engine. So you can uh, check out PDF Pen, PDF Pen Pro, and all of the great software over at their website, smileonmymac.com. And we've received your messages from everyone asking about the new version of PDF Pen. We'll probably cover that deeper in a future episode. I'm sorry, the new version of Text Expander. Text Expander, yes. Yeah. All right. All right. Well, let's talk about wireless because this is probably, I would argue, maybe the, the more common types of networking that we're seeing at least today. So it it's you know has advantages and disadvantages. Um, obviously, advantages being that it's built into almost everything these days. I mean, you can get refrigerators that have wireless connections built in, um, and you don't have to run wires all throughout your house. And the technology really just keeps getting better. I remember ten years ago when the very first airport came back on my very first titanium PowerBook G4. I was so excited. I was walking around the house surfing the internet over a modem, you know, thinking that this was just the coolest thing in the world. And I could get like a whole 15 feet down the hall before it would cut out. Yeah, I, I also distinctly remember the first time I used a laptop without wires connecting to the internet. And uh, I was thinking about that as well today. I said, well, I should share that on the episode. And I said, no, that'll be way too geeky. But since you've you've gone there, I can too. Okay. I, it just blew me away. I Were mean, you standing there in your house with the laptop open, kind of level, uh, balancing it on two hands, walking around the house to see how far you could get? I was actually at my sister's house, and it was, it was hers. And they didn't even have the wireless built into the computer at that point. You had to plug in you kind of a gong. Yeah, you had a, a card that slipped in and had a big antenna sticking out the side. But... Just to be sitting there on a couch and 
surfing the web, I thought I had it all figured out. It was that great. sounds oddly like a PC, David. Yeah, it probably was. It was her computer. Mm. Um, so especially with 802.11n, the, the wireless technology just keeps getting better and better. And really, 802.11n is the first time that I have really felt like I can go primarily wireless on my computer. So that's that's been a big leap for me. But obviously, there, there are a lot of disadvantages, and we're going to get into some workarounds for these disadvantages a little bit later. But there's still a lot of standards to support out there. Um, a, obviously, being much less common. Yeah, which... yes. Let's stop then and go through the alphabet soup a bit. Okay. So uh, the letters refer to networking protocols, and really for the common user, what it comes down to is speed. Right. And, and A was the first one. Right, well, but it, would never, that, it never really picked on, uh, yeah. you know, for, for general computer use. Um, B was the original airport, you know, the little white snow. Was it? No, it was graphite. It was a little graphite UFO thing. Yeah, and and usually you see it 802.11a, 802.11b. You know, it's all it's the frequency and then the standard. And then after B came G, which right. was the, the standard for a long time, in fact, Right. It was theoretical speeds up to 54 megabits per second. Of course, you were lucky if you saw about half of that. Yeah. The theoretical is is truly theoretical. And like you said, usually you get about half of that speed. And, and that's if everything is, is playing right. And that's pretty recent. I mean, my uh, my daughter's iMac, which is, I don't know, maybe a little over three years old, that's still got 802.11G on it. Well, your yeah. iPhone still has 802.11G on it, but yeah, that's another said. issue. That iPhone or that iPod Touch has got a 802.11G uh, networking protocol. And I believe it was only with the most recent revs of the Mac Minis that they got in. I don't know. I, I know they had G for a long time, but uh, uh, the Minis came up to N, and also the Airport Expresses came up to N, what, about a year ago? About a so, year ago, yeah. So we've got, and then we get to the final protocol that everybody's using now is the 802.11N, and these things go through a period where they're not even final. Uh, the I don't know. Is is N finally final? Or if so, it just got there. Yeah, I believe it just became final. But right. anyway, they've been selling devices with it for some time now. With 802.11N. Asterisk. Yes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so we kind of have an understanding of the speed, and that's important because um, the devices on your network are going to affect the speed of your network, and we're going to talk about that in a little bit. Yeah, and I just want to step back for a minute. And you said that 802.11n was, you know, the. I don't know if you meant to say it this way, you know, the the prevalent technology out there. I still don't think it is. I think I think most things out there are still G. I mean, the newer things that are coming out now are are N, but I think there are a lot of people out there who are still running G networks and maybe not taking advantage of the of the you know N capabilities of their devices. Yeah, and what I meant is the prevalent uh, speed in the current selling Apple line. Okay, well that's true. That's really all that's ex that's uh, necessary to cover on this podcast, except for the phone for probably another two months. Probably the iPad is in, so that's a step in the right direction. Yeah, and the um, Apple TV is in. The Apple TV is in. Thank it really had to be doing high def content uh, content. Um, so obviously, wireless, the, the the big disadvantage out there is there are significant security risks. Um, you know, I am just still shocked and amazed at, you know, walking around at somebody's house and, oh, here's the Linksys that pops up with, with no password. You know, yeah, let me let me hop on that network and, and do whatever I want. 
and shocked at the number of times I could hop on that network, log into their router, and change their password. Not that I would do that, except in extremely rare circumstances. Yeah. And then another limitation is the limited range. I mean, with the, the cable, you can run a cable run a long way and still have connection with a wireless router, you're limited. Uh, it's better with the N than it was with the G, but you're still limited. Yeah, it's significantly better with the N. I've got um, three stories here. I've got a rooftop terrace with my um, N router on my bottom story, and I can occasionally get connection up on my third story. So I'm a little upset about that. May need to finagle some things around a bit. But it's also, uh, you know, a lot of that is is due to interference, a little less so with N, but... I used to have a an Airport Express that I streamed air tunes with uh, in my living room, and every time I turned on the microwave to make dinner, the, the music stopped. Yeah, so now you're talking about interference, and uh, most of the G devices and a lot of the N devices are, what, 2.4 gigahertz um, two range. Point, yeah, 2.4 is what B, G, and N are on, although N has the ability to run at the 5 gigahertz network. Yes. In fact, uh, I run my... Uh, my time capsule at five gigahertz. And when our, when our cordless phones went out and we went to the store, uh, Daisy said, well, let's get this fancy one with the five gigahertz. I'm like, no, no. no. <laughs> I'm like if we're going to slow down a network, it's going to be the G network. not the end. <laughs> So, uh, you know, I buy bad technology for my phones just to protect that in, in, uh, in range. But yeah, so, but microwave ovens, cordless telephones, there's a lot of things in your house that will create interference with your wireless signal that you wouldn't have otherwise with a wired signal. Hmm. Okay, so we glance a little bit on security, but I think that one uh, deeps, uh, merits a little deeper dive. So let's talk about uh, that first problem you said. When you go into a neighborhood and you see all of, you, you look in your airport. Linksys, D-Link, yeah, Belgium. Exactly. <laughs> you see, Linksys Link is a great one because... They've been doing the same thing for years and years. It says Linksys, and then you log in, and the password is admin. Right. You know, and it, I don't know if they've changed that because I haven't bought a Linksys in some well, time. Well, no. By default, there's no password to get on the network, and then if you know the one nine two dot one six eight dot zero dot one, which is the address of the actual router, then you yeah. can log on to that with admin. So they still haven't changed that, no. huh? Well, as of the last one that I I set up, who knows. But, you know, it's really dangerous just to take one out of the box and just plug it in because, you know, you're leaving the barn door wide open. Don't tell my neighbors. <laughs> so, and it's, I'm just looking right now as I sit here recording this and I see a Linksys in my neighborhood that I could probably get into if I wanted to. So the first thing you want to change is the, the broadcast ID, the SSID, and, you know, change it to something unique. If uh, you're concerned about security, change it to something that isn't necessarily you know, related to you. I mean, mine says Sparmerica, you know, hmm. so they're going to know it's me, the neighbors, but uh, well, that, um, I don't really care. In addition to just changing the SSID, you can also make the decision not to broadcast your SSID. So you can name your network whatever you want, but if you want it to be hidden a little bit more, you can actually say, hey, look, make somebody know the name of my network. Don't let them... Um, you know, just see my SSID out there. And it, it arguably makes you a little safer, at, at least for the people who are just looking. You know, if you're, if you're looking for an easy target, you're probably going to go after someone who's broadcasting versus not broadcasting their SSID. You know, I'm not really sure about that. If somebody's looking to, to catch a signal, first of all, you know, it's only the most rudimentary users who are not going to understand that that signal's not there. If you use any of the package sniffing software out there, it's going to immediately find it whether or not you broadcast it or not. So uh, I, I would not, 
encourage people to think they have a sense of security because they're not broadcasting the ID because it really is a false sense of security. Oh, and I would never say turn off security, just don't broadcast your ID. That would be foolish. Yeah. But either you're right, it is another level, and uh, I, I haven't bothered with it because I think the, the real hackers, that is such a – Maybe they'll see know, it as a challenge. Ooh, this person thinks they're so smart. Yeah, or it's just, you know, it's just so easy for them to get over that hurdle that I don't really see it as, as worth the trouble. But, right. it, you know, I'm, I'm sure I'm going to get some email telling me I'm wrong. So, all right. So, step one, and it depends, you can reverse these steps, is, you know, create or change your, you know, create your unique SSID and then choose whether you want to broadcast it or not. Um, not broadcasting it, I guess, gets a little more annoying if you have guests that regularly need to access your network, but, you know, who knows. Um, so the next step is really securing that connection down with some kind of encryption. Um, three primary methods of, of encryption, WEP, WEP, um, WPA, and WPA2. And so I would, I would say that there's really one method. There's really one method of securing your, your connection. I have heard um, people talk about cracking WEP passwords, which was the original standard, um, as being akin to having the safety of wrapping a piece of aluminum foil around your Ethernet cable. Yeah, it's it, it's it's ridiculously easy to crack a web password and amazing to me how many people are still using them. I mean, there's some people who are using them who just don't know better. Right. And there's other people who are just lazy. The uh, That standard has been cracked now for, I think, years. So I would not encourage anyone. If you're looking at your security protocols and it says web password, uh, you need to update your, your hardware. Well, part of the problem, too, is, you know, a lot of older routers, because routers can last a long time, a lot of older routers don't have the ability to WPA, although usually if you go to the manufacturer's website, there'll be a free firmware update available that will turn on that ability. Yeah, if you've got an older Lexus and it's it's prompting you to use a web password. You need to update uh, the firmware. Yeah, and and they probably do it for free. It's not. It's just going to be a little trouble for you to go through the process. But once you're done, you're you're actually secure. So, right. and, and WPA two is is the most current, you know, commercial or uh, you know one that people use. I'm not going to get into the high high end stuff. I mean, there's there's better protocols, but for you know the consumer level device, WPA two is probably as good as you can do right now. Yeah, the the biggest kink that I have seen, and I have seen it. A lot less frequently, so I, I think the um, producers of products are getting better about this, is for a long time I saw a lot of products like my TiVo that did not support WEP, or excuse me, did not support WPA encryption until, you know, probably a couple of years after it was the standard, so, you know, you would have it? to default to WEP if you, if you wanted to use your device connected over a wireless network. But I, I've seen that's gotten a lot better recently. And that would be maddening. You know, <laughs> you have to cripple your security no! in order to add something to your network. It makes no sense. But I'm glad uh, that they're fixing that. So, look, try and get WPA on your device and Preferably look for a firmware WPA2. Yeah, I'm sorry, WPA2. And if, if your device is so old that it won't, you may want to improve it anyway just to get the higher speed. And uh, there's a reason for that. Um, we talked about, you know, well, we'll get to that in a minute, but let's talk about choosing passwords. Yeah. Now, let's assume that you have one wireless network, um, and we'll talk about setting up guest networks and things like that a little bit later. But my advice to people is your wireless network, especially if you frequently or even occasionally have guests in your home, 
is probably one of those things that you will share with your guests because everybody has Wi-Fi connected devices. So I usually tell people, and perhaps this is bad advice, that if they've only got one wireless network and they want their guests to have the ability to connect to it, that they need to choose a password that is completely separate from any other schemes of passwords that they use. Um, and you also want to choose a password that you don't mind giving out to people, you know, people who come in your home and people you don't mind giving the password to. Um, so it needs to be very different. And I typically tell them, you know, something that's fairly easy for you to give out and someone to remember, but something that's that's hard for strangers to guess. And one of the tricks there is just making it long. Um, you know, I had a friend, we set up his network and we made his network password. Ask not what you can do for your country, 62. Huh. You know, that that's easy to remember. It's a phrase and there's a number in it too. So it's going to take a little bit of doing to get through it. So and when I come visit you, I'm going to use that password for every Wi-Fi network I see. Well, it's not going to work in my house. Okay. <laughs> I've got one password, so my network password is not friendly. But anyway, so, but, you know, he wanted one he could share, and we set that up for him. And, you know, going back to our security episode, when you change the clocks, change the passwords. So yeah, by now, hopefully, he's changed it, but he probably hasn't. Right. And it's not just enough to change the password or to choose a password for your Wi-Fi encryption but you also need to change that password on your router because no matter what the greatest password you have, once someone either plugs in wired or connects wirelessly to your network, they do have access to your router. And if you've kept that standard um, admin password, they can go change your password to whatever they want. Yeah, they can take over your network in essence. Right. Um, Mac filtering is another level of security and... That calls it's it's not the Mac that you're looking at right now when you're you're listening to this podcast. It's it's media access control and it is the only time that it is appropriate to spell the word Mac with all three capital letters. Yeah, there you have it. And what it is, it's a special identifier with every piece of hardware. I mean those internet connected refrigerators, your iPhone, your iPad, your Macintosh, all these have their own specific Mac address. And your router identifies that number when they connect. Now, these aren't foolproof, but it is yet another layer of protection, um, especially if for some reason you decide you don't want to go with standard encryption security. You can filter your router to only let certain MAC addresses connect. I don't recommend that being your only level of security, but if you're looking to take steps up yet another notch, um, you can do MAC filtering. I don't do this on my networks just because it's another pain. I mean, if I have someone come over to my house who wants to get on my Wi-Fi, then I would have to say, okay, hang on, go to, go to, go to the Apple menu, go to system profiler, go to about this Mac, you know. Yeah, you've got to look up the Mac, Mac address. address. You've got so to look I can up there, go Mac. log into my router and program it in. Yeah. So, and the other thing is a Mac address can be spoofed. You can have your computer broadcast a Mac address that isn't its actual Mac address. So if the bad guys realize, okay, he's only letting in, a device with the Mac address of XYZ, then he has his, his computer broadcast XYZ and then he's in. So uh, it's, once again, not perfect, but it's another level of security, if you'd like. Right. Now, I talked a little bit about guest network, and this is a feature that is built into the current versions of the Time Capsule and the Airport Extremes. And it's a feature that I use at my house. Um, 
which basically means I'm using one piece of hardware and I'm running two networks. I'm running um, a network for me that I've taken these extra security precautions of MAC address filtering and um, no broadcast of my SSID, and I have a really super secure password on my network that I have all of my devices connect on, my printer connect on, and some hard drives connect on. But then I also have a, a separate guest network that I do have an SSID. It is broadcast. It has a slightly more user-friendly password. Um, and I don't have the MAC address filtering turned on on that. And um, that way my guests can hop onto their network as far as they know everything's grand. But yet they can't see, you know, files that I may be sharing on my computer or or other things like that. And another kind of silly way around it, if you're a MiFi owner, is just to give them the MiFi signal and let them use that when they're in the house. You could, or you could actually, you could set this up, um, and, and we'll talk about this a little more later and, and why you might want to do that, um, if you wanted to go ahead and buy a second router. You know, if you have a router or an old router, um, if you have a, a new N router and, and maybe you want to keep the G router around for a couple of things, you know, you, you can segregate your network like that and have certain devices connect to one versus the other. and and go from there. Well, now that we're talking about devices, let's get into the hardware. All right. So let's start talking a little bit about the Apple devices. And and I don't know about you, I kind of have mixed feelings about buying um, Apple devices, but what do you think about, you know, buying Apple versus buying Linksys versus buying D-Link and that kind of stuff? If you can afford it, I say buy the Apple stuff. I, I, for years, I used Linksys and I used D-Link, and I had consistent problems with both of those hardware in terms of the router resetting itself and having to get on your knees underneath the cabinet and unplug the router and let it recycle. And it was just such a pain. And I finally got tired of it. And one day I said, you know what, I'm going to go ahead. When Apple first came out with the Airport Extreme with the end speed, I said, I'm going to get an Apple device. And I, I went ahead and plunked down i think it was 180 bucks or something it wasn't cheap no it's not cheap and i've never really had problems with them resetting where i constantly had that problem with both the d-link and the linksys uh, i know there's a lot of people out there that say that's foolish you can get a machine a router that's just as fast much cheaper maybe half the price but i just don't have that problem with the air with the airports and also i think the setup stuff in them is you know it's just stupid easy Whereas the other ones, you've got to you know log into the certain site and get through these cryptic menus. With the Apple one, it's like everything else Apple makes. It's very easy for the user to get in and make adjustments. And there are also some advantages. You know, if you play with an Apple's universe and you stay exclusively with an Apple's universe, you get some other advantages too in terms of the devices talking to each other and some additional features. But you know, let's actually let's go ahead and just just run down that. So probably the the flagship most common router that Apple has, I would say, is the Airport Extreme. Now, the Airport Extreme has four gigabit ports, which really isn't much in a router. Obviously, one is for your connection to whoever your broadband provider is, so then you've only got three ports to actually plug things into. So that's my that's my biggest gripe about the Apple devices is they don't aren't very big on wired ports. But it also has a, a fancy fancy little USB plug that you can either plug a hub into um, and plug in multiple devices, or you can plug in a hard drive or a printer. And it just makes it really easy to add network-attached storage via cheap USB drive or to share a printer out among your network. 
Yeah, I've been using a, an HP laser printer through the USB port on one of these for years. And it's great because I serve it to the whole house and it's not a network printer. And it's so. easy. It just works. Yeah. Yeah. Um, probably my favorite feature that is only a feature in the newer versions of the Airport Extreme in the time capsule is the fact that it does simultaneous dual band, which means it will broadcast on both the 2.4 and the 5 gigahertz spectrums, which means depending, you know, if you have a network that has mixed devices in it, if you've got, you know, 802.11n, 802.11g devices that are mixed within the network, they're going to both communicate with the router at the fastest speed possible without slowing the other down. Yeah, and we're going to get into that in a little bit, but uh, it's a great device. The one I have is before they had dual band, uh, but it's still a great router, and I've had it a couple of years, and works great. I mean, the end speed is, is wonderful. Yeah, and we can talk about a little bit of a workaround that if you want to get that dual band capability by setting up multiple routers, you can. Um, Apple claims that it will support up to 50 users. David, you question that? Yeah, I like that. I I really want to see one of these things drive 50 users. I can't (laughs) wait to see how that works. Well, you know, if you think about it, it's, you know, I live alone and I started counting up. I have over half a dozen devices that connect to my network. I mean, especially if you you start getting into a, a situation where you've got multiple people in a home who have multiple devices, you're getting up there pretty quickly. I don't know if you're getting to 50, but you're getting up there. Yeah, I, I, I don't see that. You're, you're right. When you were talking about refrigerators with Internet, I'm thinking, you know, what's next to can opener? You know, but Why not? Uh, there's going to be a lot of Internet-connected devices in our future. But Well, and more and more TVs are getting built-in Wi-Fi. Yeah, so supporting the 50 users off an Airport Extreme smacks of me uh, like the same way an Apple battery estimate life does. <laughs> That's probably accurate. Um, the uh, Airport Extreme supports guest networking, which I talked a little bit about before, um, and it is expensive. It's a very expensive router compared to what you can go down to Best Buy or Office Depot and buy a similar, or a you know Linksys or a D-Link at least you know in browned router. It is 179 bucks, so that really is the downside of buying with Apple. And that's a significant downside. I mean, I think you can get an in-speed router like for 50 bucks these days, maybe even Probably. cheaper if you yeah. start digging around and. And my comment earlier didn't mean that you should only buy the Apple product. But in my experience, um, it's worth the extra money not to have, you know, my wife calling me at work saying, you know, the Internet's down. I can't get on. And, you know, just just that constant because struggle. Because she will be calling. Yeah. Well, she's pretty smart. She yeah. she knew how to fix it herself. But just, you know, it's just really frustrating to have that happen. You know, you're in the middle of a download or, or what, like, you know, podcasting or something else and just have the Internet just simultaneously drop off and then uh, that's kind of a pain and so for me the extra money is paid off and the the feature set to attach to attach a printer to it and the the great software you know it all adds up to value to me and I think it's worth the price they're charging but it's not an exclusive thing I mean you're not foolish to skip over the Apple stuff and save yourself about a hundred bucks and go get something cheaper um like I said, playing within the Apple universe also tends to give you some more advantage. Uh, specifically, if you're a .Mac subscriber, you can get access back to your drive through Back to My Mac if you are running Apple hardware. Now, I said you're supposed to be able to have access, and quite frankly, this has worked very well to me for me. Pretty much wherever I am, if I'm on a wireless network, I can see my time capsule back home, and I can access files off of it. It just shows up 
um, in my sidebar, although I understand people have had trouble getting access to back to my Mac and getting access to drives connected to airport extremes and time capsules if they're not playing within the all Apple universe. You know, it's it's really popular to pile on to the back to my Mac service, but I'm like you. I've had really good results with it. I mean, uh, my work is a secured firewall network, but I'm able to get back to my iMac at home through it. And, you know, there just generally it's worked for me and it hasn't involved any setup, which is really nice. So, well, the only thing you do is it asks you when you when you set up your time capsule, there's a little tab that says mobile meaning. And that's it. Yeah. Well, I mean, VPN networking can be very complicated, and, and this seems to generally work. And I know different people have had different results from it, but it, it is a, a very beneficial feature if you're someone who's out in the road and you need to get some file off your home computer. Right. Now, I don't know if you remember when Time, well, I think it was when Leopard was released at a WWDC keynote, we we heard, I think also around the same time about the Airport Extreme, and we heard about this great thing called AirDisc. And I'm not sure, you know, I think Apple actually mentioned it and then never really spoke of it again, was that you were going to have this support to connect any USB drive to your AirDisc and you're going to be able to do backups. And I have actually had that work. It can be a little kludgy, but I did it, you know, before the time capsule came out. Um, and then all of a sudden, all mention of this was removed from the Apple webpage, and it's not officially supported, and sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Do you? Am I the only one who has a recollection of that happening? Yeah, I think it was a keynote at Macworld a few years ago when they announced the time capsule, and they said, and also we're going to make it so you can do it over your air disk. And I think Apple even at one point had some stuff on the web about this, the ability mm-hmm. to do this feature, but by the time it came out, that just disappeared. And then there's a terminal hack that you can go in and uh, and turn it on it's done by your machine it's not actually done on the router and there's there's you know mixed results some people do that and it seems to work okay for them and some people do it and they seem to have trouble yeah but it's basically a way of creating a time capsule without a time capsule so you can do your time machine backups to the uh to the drive you've got plugged into the back of your airport extreme yeah and we'll have links to those articles in the show notes if if you want to try to set this up you know do it but do it at your own risk um, I did it for a while and it worked for me. And then I finally just bought a time capsule because I didn't want to deal with the hassle. But I seem to remember it being announced because I, I believe that was the selling point for me. That's why I bought an airport extreme, um, you know, was for that functionality. And then all of a sudden the time capsule came out a couple of months later and I was like, oh, then I had to go out and buy a time capsule. Yes, there was much gnashing of teeth over that whole series of events. Yeah. So, hey, guess what? What? We have a new sponsor. Yes, we do. It's one I'm very happy with, 1Password. You've uh, probably heard us talk about 1Password on the podcast before. In fact, we did, just in full disclosure, um, an entire podcast on 1Password, and that was, you know, no kind of payback to them. We did not have a sponsorship deal in place with them, but we are very pleased to have a a sponsorship with them now. Um, And they're actually sharing the love a little bit because that 1Password discount we gave out has been extended. Yes, so uh, I'm not sure how long it's going to stay up, but if you're interested in getting one password on your Mac, get over there and use the Mac Power Users Discount. Um, so let's talk a little bit about one password, you know, without doing an entire show on it, obviously. Um, but it is the password manager for the Mac that is my password manager of choice. I think it's yours as well, David. Um, and it's great because you can very easily be very secure 
and have really good passwords that you've always known that you were supposed to have but were really afraid to implement um, and always be able to access your data just by knowing your one password. And, you know, the great thing about it is it's ubiquity. Not only are they on the Mac, they're also on the iPhone. And by the time this recording hits, there's a very good chance they'll already be on the iPad. I know they've, they've submitted. submitted. Yeah, yeah, they've submitted their application. Of course, we have no control over whether it will or will not get approved for the you know, day one launch of the of the App Store. But if you've got your shiny new iPad sitting in front of you, definitely check them out. Not only can you use them on the Mac, not only can you use them on the iPhone, not only can you use them on the iPad, you can also use 1Password Anywhere on any machine um, if you use their 1Password Anywhere feature, especially if you're sharing your 1Password keychain through a service like Dropbox, which I think is a, a, a very much overlooked feature of 1Password. Uh, and one of my favorite features of 1Password are the secure notes. Uh, up in Chicago at the tech show, there was several Mac attorneys that were scratching their heads over the problem of, how do I put secure, really secure data on my iPhone? Things that I don't want anybody ever to get, even if they break my, you know, four-digit uh, password. Yeah, rudimentary four-digit password. And and my answer was always just put one password on there and put it in a secure note. Then they're going to have to get through three different passwords until they get to that data. So, uh, and the last password can be as complex as you want it to be. So it's just a great. Uh, ubiquitous solution for password management in the Mac ecosphere. You can uh, use our discount code and you can go check them out over at onepassword.com and that discount code will be in the show notes. Okay, so we've talked about the Airport Extreme. Now let's talk about its big brother, the time capsule. Yeah, you have a time capsule, don't you? I think you mentioned you did. I do. I, do. I love it. Um, yeah, I do a- as well. I had some issues with my first gen time capsule. Um, and absolutely hated it. But as soon as I got rid of that piece of hardware, it started working beautifully. So I really just think I got a dud. Yeah, we talked about it on the backup show. Uh, I got it primarily for my wife's laptop because, you know, she's just not going to stop and plug in a USB drive and do the whole thing all the time. She's got a laptop. And uh, uh, this gave me a way to wirelessly back her up uh, without her really having to think about it. And uh, it's worked great for that. I've got three different computers that back up to it wirelessly, and I've owned it since it first came out and had no troubles. But I think I'm getting ahead of myself. A time yes. capsule, what it is, is it's basically an airport extreme with an internal hard drive, and it gives you the ability to run your time machine backups wirelessly to the router. And I, I haven't looked at them side by side in a while, but in terms of physical appearance, they look the same. I believe the time capsule is a little bit larger overall to accommodate the hard drive. It's the same general design. One's just a little bigger than the other. Um, and it has the same features as the Airport Extreme. Everything that we talked about in terms of the ports and the hard drive and the printer sharing and the simultaneous dual band and the guest networking and all of that is also available on the time capsule. And it also has the additional feature of having a one terabyte or two terabyte hard drive built in that you can buy for two ninety nine and four ninety nine respectively. Now, what do you think about the price point? Well, I think it makes a little more sense in some ways than the Airport Extreme because uh, you've got an Airport Extreme in there, which is about a hundred and eighty dollar device, and then you've got a one terabyte drive, which is for one hundred and twenty bucks. That's not that doesn't seem really off to me. So yeah, I, for three, $300, you're set to go. You have your backup drive and your airport. I think it is a great solution for someone who does not already have an airport extreme 
and is looking to upgrade their router and also wants to be a little more backup conscious, it becomes a little tougher decision if you already have a relatively new airport extreme and and then you're looking at a pretty significant upgrade when you think about all I'm getting is the extra, you know, one terabyte or two terabyte hard drive. Yeah, I agree. It's, you know, I have both and it doesn't really make sense in a lot of ways, but for me it did. And I'll explain why when we talk about the differences in network speeds. Uh, but it's a great device and it, it scratched the itch. I mean, now I've got a, a reliable backup system on my daughter and my wife's computer that doesn't involve me having to remember, you know, every weekend to go back them up. So it's, it's really good for that. Right. Um, and the last device uh, in the Apple hardware roundup is the Airport Express. And I think this is one of the most overlooked little Apple devices that is one of the best values for $99 that you can buy from the Apple store. It's really um, versatile. It does a lot of different things. Yeah. It, it's not as good on the specifications. Um, the Airport Express is relatively small in size. It's about the size of a, a MacBook Pro um, power adapter, so you could throw it in a bag. Um, it will share a printer only. It does have one USB port. It has one um, 10100-base-T Ethernet port, so you can... We'll talk about there are a couple of different things that you can do with that. But, you know, if it's going to be your only router, then it basically has no ports to share devices wirelessly because then, you know, you would obviously plug whatever your source of your Internet connection is into that device. Um, it will do um, dual band. So it's 2.4 or 5 gigahertz. It doesn't do the simultaneous dual band like its big brothers do. And it will support up to 10 users. And by users, they really mean not necessarily people who are using it, but devices who are using it. So if you get much more than in like a small apartment type situation, um, you know, as we were talking about, I probably have half a dozen devices that connect to the Internet. So, you know, if you if you start counting up all your Internet connected devices, you may find that you hit that that 10 mark fairly quickly. Yeah, and it also has the... Uh iTunes external speaker function where you can plug it into your wall and it's got a little audio jack in it. And you can, it's a one eighth inch stereo jack. You can plug that into your stereo and then it shows up in your iTunes. And so you can stream your iTunes music to your stereo, which is a lot of fun. Yeah. Now I think that is one of the most underutilized features. I have got three of these around my house. I have one in my office connected to my audio engine, a two speakers. And, and that is not only doing that, but is also sharing my printer um, I have one in my kitchen that is connected to a pair of speakers, and I have one in my bedroom that is connected to a pair of speakers. Well, it's actually connected to one of those iPod clock radio things. And when you think about what it costs to put speakers in every room of your house and have some kind of centralized entertainment center, it's really quite inexpensive because when you think about it, all your music's on your Mac anyway. Yeah, and then if you add to it some of these great devices like um, Audio Engine makes a, a, a device that plugs in the bottom of your iPhone and streams your music um, right to the stereo, you could use it in conjunction with these uh, Airport Extremes. I'm sorry, Air, Airport Expresses. Right, and uh, Rogue Amoeba folks make a great piece of software called Airfoil that allows you to stream any audio, um, not just audio coming from iTunes, to the Airport Express, and I use that quite a bit. Yeah, so you can really get your audio going. I, you know, the, another feature of the Apple TV is it does the same thing. It will, and and the idea being that the Apple TV is probably already in your your media cabinet. 
And then we had talked a little bit on our traveling show that these airport expresses you can also use to extend a network. So if you throw it in your briefcase or your suitcase when you're on the road, if you have a poor signal, you can you can expand it in your room or you can take a wired signal and turn it into a wireless signal uh, in your hotel room. Right. Now, especially it can extend a network. Um, it can only extend a network, though, using other Apple hardware. So this is a great device, for example, if you've got a floor plan, you know, my issue is that I can't, I can't get my, my wireless reliably on my third floor. Um, if you want to be able to extend the range of your network any further, what you do is you stick the airport express somewhere in between, um, somewhere closer to your dead zone, but still in enough range that you can get a good signal from your primary base station. And the signal will hop then through the airport express and it will extend your network. But that's I believe I've seen hacks out there where you can hack it to work with other devices, but they're not pretty. Um, so it's really only designed to work with Apple hardware. Okay, so we've talked about this fancy, expensive Apple hardware. You know, so why should you spend the extra money for it? Well, we talked about that a little bit. You know, easy setup. It's very interoperable with other Apple devices. It works with all those Apple services like Back to My Mac. Um, and it's got some of those more advanced features like guest networking and simultaneous dual band and and support for USB devices. And in my opinion, it's worth the extra expense, all those benefits, even the limited wired ports. I mean, I don't, I don't use that many wired ports because most of my network is wireless anyway. Um, but there are alternate devices out there. We've talked about Linksys and D-Link, but there's also Netgear. I think Belkin and- makes some. Best Buy has their own in-house brand that makes some. And there's there plenty, yeah, there's plenty of ways to get your wireless network going. Yeah, one thing I do recommend, though, um, th- these devices are all supposed to work on on the same standards, but I have found just in my experience in setting up other people's networks that usually like devices and like hardware plays nicer together. So, you know, if you've got a Linksys network and you want to keep going with that, it may be to your advantage to keep with all Linksys hardware. Yeah, and, you know, we've kind of jumped over something, but, you know, just let's talk through what hardware you generally need to set up your home network. The first thing you need is uh, you've either got a DSL or a cable coming out of your wall, and that needs to go into some sort of modem. Well, you know what? Let me step back even one more step. And I know that I would say almost all of our users don't have this issue, but I have seen this question asked before. So regardless of what device you buy, regardless of how much you spend for it, a router that you buy from Apple or Best Buy or any of those places does not provide you internet access. You do have to have a separate plan with your cable company, your DSL company, your Fios company, whoever, a monthly subscription plan, someone who is providing you with access. And then these devices connect within your home to extend that access to other devices within your home. And a lot of geeks call it the pipe. So you have the pipe of data coming in your house, whether it's a cable or a DSL line, and then you have to plug that into a modem. And that's not usually your router. Sometimes they sell them and combined. It's a router slash modem. I was about to say the same thing. I don't know a single person that has been happy with a combined device for a number of reasons. Uh, one of which is when the speeds get higher and you want to upgrade your speed, you have to replace your cable modem too. Right. Uh, so you have a modem. I think I actually have a Linksys cable modem, and that's plugged into the cable that's coming to my house, and out of that comes an Ethernet cable. Right, and, and, that- and just while you're talking about the modem, depending on what special features you may be getting from your cable company, 
um, you don't necessarily have to use your cable company's modems. I know a lot of people are are paying a small monthly fee to rent their modem from the cable company. And I do that now because I, I get the cable company phone service. And I, I'm sure they're out there, but I haven't seen uh, modems yet that I can buy that has the ability to plug into their phone service. But, you know, if you're paying a couple bucks a month for the to rent a modem and it's just a basic modem, you don't have to do that. And you'll probably find some better features out there from competing products. Okay. So you've got the modem, then you come into your router and that's the airport extreme or Linksys, the other stuff we've just got done talking about. Right. And a lot of, for a lot of people, that's the end of the road. It gets to the router and then you, you either have a computer hardwired into it with an ethernet cable or wirelessly connected. Right. But it doesn't have to be the end of the road. I mean, you can, branch off as many ways as you want to go from there. Okay, let's talk about a few of those. Okay. Um, you know, you talked about having a, a wired backbone in your house. So, you know, especially if you have a larger home or a home that has a split floor plan, you know, you're not all combined within a, you know, thousand foot or less apartment. Um, you know, it's, you can connect multiple devices hardwired to each other and then have both of those devices broadcasting wireless networks so that you can attain full house coverage. That's probably one of the most common uses I've seen. Yeah. And uh, you can also use a thing called a power line adapter where you can take a Ethernet uh, line out of your router and you plug it into the wall, to the to power line. And then it uses the power lines in your house to run the copper wire up to a different room at which you plug another device in that has a female ethernet port and then you can essentially add a wired backbone without having to pay an electrician to come in now i've thought about getting one of these for my tivo and i've i've seen that they have somewhat mixed reviews you have one don't you i had one for oh. about five hours uh, oh, you know, when, okay. we, when we first started the mac power users and so i'm guessing it was a great success uh, you know, it wasn't bad. It just wasn't successful enough. Okay. When we first started recording the show, we were having some audio issues. And one of the things I got thinking was maybe it's just the, the connection I have up to my to my office where I record. And I thought, well, I'll try that. And it worked okay, but when I ran the speed test on it, it just wasn't fast enough. And then to get one that was technically supposed to support the faster speeds, it was going to be like two or 300 bucks. And I just didn't think it was worth the trouble. But uh, I think those things are are improving and and getting better. And I think that's a really good solution. Like if you have on your first floor, your airport, and then you want to get a second airport on the third floor, uh, uh, it only works with one connection. You can't, for instance, plug it in and then have two uh, lines shooting off of it. It only makes one connection, at least the current technology. Actually, and I've I, seen one that had a little, had a little hub built into it. Okay. But what I mean is you can't plug it in by your by your router to put one line in, and you can't take off in two different bedrooms. You can't plug into two different um, plugs. Or did you see one that did that? Oh, you mean um, have it go through multiple rooms? Yeah. So, for instance, oh no, no. Put, I, well, you, I I, I don't see in. why you couldn't. Well, the as I understood it when I tested the technology out is you could not like. But for no, instance, I haven't I haven't seen packs set up like you know three packs or something. Yeah, you couldn't push the internet into the wall by your router and then pull it out in your son's room and your daughter's room. You couldn't right. do it two different places. But you know, we'll have to look. I, I'm going to have to frankly look into it. It's been a year since I since I played with it. But well, and uh, I think if, the the prices have come down. I think I saw one on Amazon that was a 200 megabit per second advertised for like 120 bucks. You know, I may try it again. I may just try it again. 
because I, I could definitely use more speed in the office. Right. And not just, you know, if, if having a wired backbone isn't an option and, you know, one of these power line adapters don't work for you. And I think typically these are, these power line adapters are faster than wireless, but not as fast as having a traditional wired network. Would that be a, a fair assessment? Generally, yes. I mean, for instance, if, if they're 200 and you can get gigabit internet uh, with the wired connection, obviously it's a little slower. Right. But it, the question is, is it slower that you're going to notice it? Is it slower than a wireless? Because, you know, you're never going to get the full throughput of a wireless signal either. That's true. So, yeah, but, I, I've seen these used quite a bit with like gaming systems or the, the computer in the spare bedroom or, or something like that. Um, but if, if running a, a physical wired connection, you know, is not an option to another area of your house, in addition to the airport express, express, excuse me, there are also range extenders that you can buy from, you know, the different providers. Linksys makes one, D-Link makes one, Belkin makes one, um, that you can use similar to as you would use an airport express in an Apple centric network to bridge the signal to another area of the house where possibly it's not as good. And I've read mixed reviews about these as well. I mean, some people say they work. Uh, some people say they don't. And I've also read uh, reviews where they talk about how it garbages up the, the air for your neighbors, you know, with mm -hmm. the accompanying network. So you may not be a good neighbor running one of these. So I would recommend researching it thoroughly before you start playing with range extenders. Right. Um, so are we ready to talk about some of the common issues with uh, with home networks and how to get around some of them? Yeah, and let's talk about speed first. Okay, because that's what everybody wants is they want the fastest network. Yeah, and it's confusing because, uh, you know, we talked about A, B, G, and N. So you buy an N-speed router and you have a MacBook Pro with an N-speed, you know, card in it. So you think that, hey, I'm going to get the N-speed and I'm going to be the fastest guy on the block. And then what happens is you take that G-speed iPhone out of your pocket and you hook it up to your network and suddenly everything goes slower. I've actually been in the house, well, not necessarily my house because I tend to control that kind of stuff, but other people's houses where, what just happened to the internet? Yeah, well, I mean, there's a... It's like, oh, there's... Mary pulled out her laptop, you know. There's a lot of things that can happen to the internet, but definitely like when you have the really old stuff, like a B speed computer running on a network with an N speed, you're going to be amazed at how slow things go because everything slows down. Well, have it has to, it has to talk to the, to the least common denominator. Have you ever heard the traffic light analogy? No, I have not. This is how it was explained to me and I, I hope I don't screw this up, but imagine a traffic light with, uh, you know, four with two, two lanes, uh, two streets intercrossing. So you've got basically four stops. Um, every device has to get through that, that intersection with every packet. And you've got one car in there, like a Maserati that can just blow through there. And you've got one car, like a dump truck that takes a long time to get across. Well, the dump truck still has to go across the intersection for every cycle. So if you've got the dump truck, which is the B speed or the G speed router, and you've got the Maserati, it doesn't matter. You're still not going to get your Maserati across there any faster because the dump truck is slowing down the intersection. Now, did that make any sense? Yeah, that definitely made sense. Yeah, I think that's kind of that's when the lights started kind of clicking for me when I heard that. And uh, there's ways around this, but the first thing you have to do is recognize the problem. Now, it's not going to pull your in speed down to the G speed, but it is going to significantly slow it down. Right. And you also have to be aware, not only do you have these different, we say A, B, G, and N, but primarily B, G, and N devices, 
the B and G devices run on the 2.4 gigahertz network. The N devices can run either 2.4 or 5. So you, you not only have to worry about what speed the devices are running, but also on what frequency they're running. And the obvious solution there is if you've got an exclusively N network, just put it at 5. Put it at 5 and don't let any dump trucks on your interstate. Yeah. Um, but you, you're going to have an iPhone and you're going to want to get that on the internet too. So then you got what's the best... Not really. It's not as hard as it used to be. No, it's um, not. First time I did, what, what we're talking about is you'll set up a second router. So you'll have one at the N speed and one at the G speed. So your iPhone can um, go to the G speed, but meanwhile you've got a very fast intersection for your N speed devices. Right. So you can basically segregate your network and you can say, okay, I'm going to run one router in 5 gigahertz mode that's going to run all of my end devices, and I'm going to run, run one router in 2.4 gigahertz mode that I'm going to allow my B and G devices on. And I don't know about you, I don't allow B devices on my network. Yeah, they're, they're forbidden in my house. Some routers actually have a little box you can check that yeah. say run in end mode only. Yeah. Now, this is easy if you have one of the newer Apple Airport Extremes or if you have one of the newer time capsules because it takes care of it automatically for you. It's just one more step you have to do in the setup. And it's really easy. And I, I've done it on mine. I've got the time machine at the end speed. And I've got the old Airport Extreme at the G. And it works just great. I've got the old iMac on the G. I've got the iPhones and the iPods on the G. Then I've got the Macintoshes, the newer ones, all on the end. Now, here, here are a couple of issues you need to look out for. First, obviously, you have to have some way to connect these devices to each other. And it sounds like in your network, David, they're they're wired in to each other, right? Yeah, and that's the general way you do it. You take an Ethernet cord out of the. I start with the end end device. I th I don't think it really matters, but I start with the end device, and then I have an Ethernet cord coming out the back of in one of the four ports, and then that goes into the uh, Airport Extreme. And and if you go into the setup menu, it tells you exactly how to do it. Right. Um. You also only want. I don't know how to extend your analogy any further. You only want one device handing out DHCP. You only want one device that is serving out addresses. Yeah, okay, so let, let's okay, slow down on cop? that one. You only have one traffic cop directing traffic through the intersection? Um, I don't I don't know if it fits here, but okay. DHCP is Dynamic Host Configuration Protocol. And what happens is, uh, you know, IP an IP address is what you have coming into your house when you get an internet, but... Um, the problem the internet has is there are not enough IP addresses and that's going to change soon if, if this next protocol gets accepted. But in the meantime, what happens is you have an IP coming in your house and then... Usually one. You have one IP address coming into your house and that's all you get. Yeah, and then the router has the job of, of creating different IP addresses for each device that connects to it. And that's the process of DHCP. Now, if you have two routers connected because you want a G and an in network um, then what you want to make sure is only one of them is handing out those addresses because if they both hand out addresses, uh, devices are going to get multiple um, DHCP protocols handed to them and cats will live with dogs and, you know, it could be the end of the universe. Right. Or your network could just get messed up. That's I'm not sure one of those two. Um, so it's real simple. When you do it in the Apple menu, it actually prompts you and it, it doesn't do that on per you know it knows of the problem and takes care of it. Yeah, if you're running a non-Apple device, then usually bridge mode is what you're looking for. You want to put the secondary device in bridge mode. And my general rule of thumb is I want the fastest device closest to my incoming pipe. Yeah. And then I go out from there. And I usually have the fastest device 
because it's usually probably the newest device, also be the one that's handing out the DHCP. Now, if you have multiple wireless devices, if you're creating multiple networks, you may want to consider, and, and this is like if you have a really big home or if you are managing a small network for, a, you know, your hotels will do this and all, um, setting the SSID of those devices to all be the same so that you can just float from one device to another without having to pick up on different devices, on uh, different networks. Yeah. So it all appears to be one network. If you're going to set up multiple routers, wireless routers at different speeds, and you're having trouble, almost nine times out of ten, I've experienced this issue with DHCP being the cause. So if you're trying it out and you've got a problem, check out DHCP. Yeah. And, you know, and we've been talking about speed a lot, but you know we're not being real clear. I mean, uh, you've only got so much speed in your pipe to the Internet. Your download speeds and your upload speeds are limited by your Internet connection. Um, where you really see the benefit with these these higher speeds is the inter-traffic uh, between your devices and your house. Right. Um, for instance, if you have an Apple TV, having it on that exclusively in-speed uh, network, you're going to see a definite advantage. Right. Um, also, this, this solves your problem, you know, if you're not only trying to segregate your network for multiple devices, but if you have limited coverage in your house. If you're like me and you can't get full wireless everywhere in your house, you know, you can either use the Airport Extreme to bridge the connection or you can do more like what da uh, David does and you can hardwire two routers together, set them to have the same SSID and, you know, basically have multiple broadcasts for your wireless connection. So depending on if you're going from the bedroom to the living room, um, you'll, your computer should manage that and connect to the device that has the best signal at any given time. Yes. Um, one problem about using the Apple Airport Express as a bridge is it tends to, you tend to see a speed decrease when it makes that hop. So if you're on the extended network, if you're extending it wirelessly and you just got the Airport Express in the middle, you are going to see a, a speed decrease. But it, it depends on how big of a deal that is to you. Yeah. Well, that's one of the big speed problems is the intersection, depending on what kind of devices you're running. You know, there's another one, though, and this one is a little more mysterious because you can have a network running just fine and everything seems like it's dandy. And then suddenly one day something happens. And, yeah, it just becomes unstable. And you don't know why, but just it suddenly starts going slow or or drops and you, you're not sure all of a sudden what's going on because you haven't changed any settings. And a lot of times that comes down to uh, your channel. Yeah, so there are, on the 2.4 gigahertz spectrums, there are 11 channels. They're numbered 1 through 11. Um, but the problem is the the channels aren't really separate. Channel 1 and channel 2 overlap. So really, you know, it, it goes back to the old Ghostbusters analogy of don't cross the streams. Yeah, you know, in fact, there was a, a podcast that, that talked about that. It was, um, what was it called? Mac, uh, Mac Break Tech. Backbreak Tech, awesome podcast. I don't know if they're, I don't think they're producing anymore, but I would recommend going back and listening to them. And I remember they were talking about that once in an episode where they talked about this. And the, um, you know, what happens is there's overlap between the frequencies. You know, those are kind of artificial numbers handed out. So when you hear one, two, three, four, you think that each one is a distinct channel, but in, indeed there's a bunch of overlap. So, um, what everyone who I've ever talked to about this problem says is you have to look at it as really three channels, you know, one, six, and 11. Right. So what happens is you set up your network and maybe your, your device is defaulted on channel one and everything works fine. And then the guy next door to you gets a new router and he puts in uh, the router that is also defaulted on channel one. So now you've got two 
different networks on the same channel fighting each other for this for the space. And that's what's causing you to suddenly drop. You know, it has nothing to do with anything on your system. It just happens to be that there's interference. And the best way to get around that, I've always used iStumbler. It's a free Mac app um, at iStumbler.net. And it, what it does is a, a survey of your neighborhood. So you can run it, and it'll show you all the various networks. It even sees the ones where the SSID is hidden, and it tells you what channel they're on. And if you see everybody in your neighborhood is on channel 1, then you crank yours to channel 11. Yeah, and it's usually a, a, a good idea whenever you move into a new place and maybe periodically after that to do a site survey because usually if you have a problem that, that crops up all of a sudden, you know, I think Steve Stanger said this is the one occasion where it's good to walk around. It's acceptable to walk around with your laptop open taking a look at things because you would be surprised how how much things can vary, you know, even from room to room. And it makes you look like a total hero. I was over at a friend's house, and uh, she was having trouble with her internet, so I just loaded up iStumbler on my laptop. I realized they were all on the same channel. I went and flipped the channel on her router, and it fixed everything in about three minutes. Right. Now, some of the newer devices say that they will switch channels automatically when they detect interference. I think that's a great idea. I don't know how well it works in in terms of actual application. But just as an FYI, most devices default to channel 6. So if you have the opportunity when you're setting up your network, stay away from channel 6. Um, if you're running in the 5 gigahertz spectrum, um, you have a little less of an issue with this because they have different channels and things like that. Yeah, and it's more complicated on the in-speed on the Apple Airport Extremes and Time Machines than it is for the uh, G-speeds Right. setting up the channel. And, that, and that's another thing to note is that if you are running multiple networks within your own home, you also want to make sure that you're appropriately segregating your network so that you, you know, maybe have one on channel one and one on channel 11 or, or make whatever modifications you need to depending on what you can pick up from your neighbors. But uh, the way I understand it, if you're running a 5 gigahertz and a 2.4, then you're, oh, you're fine. fine. Yeah. Yeah, you're fine. So um, also we got a request to talk a little bit about home media uses for your home network because that's becoming more and more popular. Yeah, I, I take big advantage of it. I've got the uh, the AirTunes going through the iTunes into the stereo using the Apple TV. And uh, frankly, we've ripped most of our DVDs we own so we don't have to go looking for them. You know, with kids, they watch the same DVDs over and over again. So it's it's really convenient. Just turn on the Apple TV and, and pull it out of iTunes and hit go. Yeah, I've got a, like I, I already described, I do have a, an AirTunes network set up within my house that's fairly expensive. I really like that remote app on the iPhone because as long as your iTunes library is up and running, you know, I can be laying in my bed upstairs and pick some songs and flip on some music and decide, you know, what speakers I want it to change through. So that's that's pretty cool. It's also really cool with the Apple TV because it allows you to type in names and things without having to do that just maddening process. Do, 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 do. Yeah. 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 Um, and, you know, I just wanted to, to comment on I started thinking about this uh, a couple of months ago. I have always in the past had my router set up in my home office and I've always had my computer plugged into my router. And then, you know, I always would have to go by and, and buy these, you know, wireless adapters for the other things in my house. And primary example being my TiVo. I have two TiVos in my house um, and I also have an Airport Express or excuse me, I'm sorry, I also have an Apple TV. Um, that was connected wirelessly 
um, in the past, and especially as things are going more high def now, my TiVo will do high def. My TiVo will download, you know, videos and movies. My Apple TV does high def. It downloads videos and movies. I, I realized that even on the end speeds that I was having more and more problems um, with streaming. And I actually, you know, moved my router out of my home office and into my living room. And, you know, right now I've got my, my TiVo and my Apple TV plugged in and my MacBook is not. And I really haven't suffered any any ill effects from that. Probably the, the time that it's least convenient for me is when I'm doing wireless time machine backups. Um, but time machine backups got a whole lot faster, for me at least, under 10.6 Snow Leopard. So it, you know, it, it ends up being about a wash. Yeah, you know, there's some truth to that. You really want to take a look at where you put your router in your house. If you've got a long house, you want somewhere towards Central the lake. middle. Yeah, right. and that makes a big difference. And you, you don't realize it until you start walking around. And, and another thing iStumbler measures is signal strength. So uh, that's a good another device you could use for that. And just load up your router, walk around the house, you know, or stop and sit down, open it, turn on iStumbler, and see what your signal is in different ports of your house. And you may find that you need to move the location or maybe extend it with another router uh, to give you maximum speed. And then obviously give some consideration to just physical placement of the router. Um, typically, if you can have it a little higher up sitting on a bookshelf or something like that is better than, you know, have it tucked under behind a desk sitting on the floor. Um, and you may want to plug other devices, not just, you know, wired Ethernet devices into it. Um, but you may other, you know, want to plug in other devices like printers and hard drives into your router. So you want to make sure that it's a convenient location for that as well. The best placement of a router I've ever seen uh, was at Macworld. Uh, Gay Wang, who does the excellent um, musical uh, applications for the iPhone, um, like Leaf Trombone and that stuff. Uh, he is a professor at Stanford, and one of the things he has is the laptop orchestra. Right. Have you seen this? Mm -hmm. Google, it's really neat. And they've got a bunch of pictures on the Stanford campus, they did an outdoor concert and somebody had climbed up all the trees <laughs> and put uh, airport extremes in the trees so they could, you know, network all these different laptops together for their laptop orchestra. I'm like, now that's cool. That's you know, very cool. Hang it from a tree. Don't put your airport extreme outside. Yeah. Don't put it on the patio. Don't put it in a tree. Yeah. But it's tempting. Wow. Okay. We have been talking a long time about home networking. Have we covered it all? I think so. Okay. I, I think we've. This is a topic where we could go deeper. Uh, I keep hearing George Starcher's uh, voice oh my in gosh. my mind as we yeah. go through this, saying, "Dave, you need to talk more about this or that." So I'm sure there'll be some more. And I look forward to seeing the comments. Please, if you've got something to add, go ahead and just put a comment on as well. It's nice to to have everybody read it rather than just me and Katie. Right. Um, speaking of feedback, we had quite a bit of feedback from our previous shows, so we're going to try to. I guess in rapid fire, since we've gone so long, cover some of that. Um, we talked about traveling in our last regular episode of the show, and we got an email from Pauline who had a follow-up question. She is, lucky her, going on a two-month trip to France this year and is taking her laptop so that she can offload photos and, and keep in touch with people. Um, but she is not set up for mobile Internet access, and all she really has is a, a phone line, you know, no device like a MiFi or anything like that. Um, and she thinks that her need to connect to the Internet is probably occasional, and you can survive without regular connection to the Internet. I don't know how, but apparently it's possible. 
um, and was wondering about our advice in terms of free Wi-Fi networks and security, and should she avoid using them completely? Should she buy one of these pay-as-you-go um, uh, cards or USB sticks while she's traveling? And then if so, where would she get that from? So I had a couple of thoughts of on this. There are some services out there um, that will allow you to connect via VPN through Wi-Fi hotspots, and if you can get access to those, um, that's probably going to be a much more secure way to connect, like over the coffee shop wireless. There's also some applications, and I'm I'm blanking on them at this moment. David, maybe you can jump in and save me if you know of it. Um, that claim that they will, um, you know, filter all of your traffic as you're going through a Wi-Fi hotspot through their VPN servers and and clean it up to some degree. I think it's, you know, just good practices is to use some general security practices. I would suggest that Pauline change all of her passwords before she goes on her trip and change them all when she gets back so that if something does happen, um, you know, she's she's got completely new passwords coming and going. Um, and then obviously be very aware of, of what you're connecting to and where. I would be much more leery of coffee shop computers. I would always rather use my own. Um and I would be very aware of, of what I'm sending data over. Make sure you're using HTTPS. Make sure you're using SSL with your email. Um, and that's going to go a long way to protect you. Obviously, you can't be protected from everything. But I think if you, you use some good common sense uh, judgments, then you can you can go a long way to making sure that you're protected. Also think about what you want to do when you're in a coffee shop. I mean, uh, checking your SS feeds is one thing, logging onto your secure banking site is another, you know. Yeah, uh, but in, in some respects, at least if you're logging on to your secure banking site, you know, you're going through a security channel. Yeah, but the the thing is you're broadcasting your password in that in that air. And I don't know if it's going to be readable or not, but I just I I I don't do that. Right. You know, when I'm in a coffee shop, I don't do anything that I, if someone was looking at my screen or able to get the data that I was transmitting, I would not want them to, to have. I, so I try to do kind of low security stuff when I'm in a coffee shop. And another point, and I made this in the security episode, is when you're not needing uh, a connection to the Internet and you're in a coffee shop, turn it off. You know, it's very easy on the Mac to go up in the airport menu and just turn it off. And if you want to do word processing or whatever, then you're you're completely secure at that point. What else we got? Uh, Antonio wrote in about disk images in the episode where I talked about how you back up a uh, install image and he didn't understand the difference between a DMG image and a image you get off the CD and DVD. Um, a DMG is essentially a disk image and it, it, it's, it works just fine. You can back that up just as easily as you can create an image of a CD and DVD and it works just great. He hasn't written me back, but I think he got the point with my response. And you got a MiFi. I did. I did get a MiFi. Um, I'm not sure what I think about it yet because I had some activation issues. But, you know, I, I went back and forth about the, um, you know, do I want to get the 3G iPad? Do I not? What do I want to do? How often am I going to use it? And then all my cool geeky buds at Macworld had MiFis, you included. Um, and I really liked the idea of having the Internet in my pocket, too. So um, I went off on eBay and I, I bought a MiFi and I did find that Verizon has some pay-as-you-go plans for the MiFi. Whether I'm getting bad information from Verizon or not, I'm not sure. Um, you know, I'd been told that the plans by other people were one thing and that, you know, for example, they had a $15 a day unlimited plan. Um, and then when I got the details from Verizon, it turns out it was a $15 a day, 75 megabyte plan, which is a 
big difference and a really bad deal in terms of of price per megabyte. Um, I haven't had the opportunity to use it to see if it will really cut you off after 75 megabytes or not. But, um, you know, that was ultimately my solution is I, I thought that the MiFi was a much more versatile device in terms of it would not only have the ability to get my iPad online, but it would also have the ability to get my iPhone and my Mac online. And I just saw, you know, for the very limited number of times that I would really need 3G or internet access on the on the um, iPad, that I would probably need it on other devices too. And, you know, this was just, you know, why buy one toy when you can buy two? Yeah, I, I don't regret my MiFi purchase. And I don't, you know, I'm not happy about spending $60 a month, but it doesn't make me cringe when I write the check because I get a lot of use out of it. Yeah, I, I just, my life and the nature of my life, I don't, I, I mean, I see this as a device that I'm going to use maybe six times a year. So for me, the pay-as-you-go makes sense, but. Yeah, well, just for instance, my Chicago trip, I had free, you know, I had, because of my MiFi, I had internet in the airport, I had internet in the hotel, I had internet, you know, in the restaurant. So it was very convenient. A lot of people are using these MiFi's. I'm glad you have joined the group. I'm happy to join. Uh, we got an email from Randy who was talking about the presentation remote, and I forgot to put a link in the show notes, so I'm going to talk about it now. Uh, the presentation remote that I use is called the Global Presenter, and they're on Amazon for about 100 bucks. Uh, you can get cheaper ones, but I really like this one because it fits in my hand real nicely. It's got the laser in it. It allows me to go forward and backwards. It also allows me to turn the screen black with one button, which is nice when I want people to stop looking at the screen and start looking at me. So I thought I think it's a great little remote. I'm going to put I am going to put the link in this time. And uh, if anybody has any questions about that, just drop me a note. We had a lot more comments, and we frankly are just out of time to deal with them here. We're going to try and add a few more next uh, with the next episode. So if we didn't get your comment in, um, we're sorry, but we're going to get to it. Uh, one comment I have is I got a lot of emails. There was a comment Merlin made in passing that we should do a whole episode on naming conventions. Oh yeah. Yeah. And I love that idea. Oh my gosh. A whole episode on numbers. No, just a whole episode on how to name files and, you know, taxonomy and how to, how to deal with files. Well, he was talking about it in terms of dating and stuff, but yeah. I'm talking about it even, let's even going crazy on it, but I thought I'd just throw that out there. Let us know uh, if, if I'm just crazy, tell me and we'll, we won't do that. But I could totally do that. And I have got in touch with uh, Amber V, who wrote that post Merlin was talking about. So we're going to get some links for that up soon, too. Sure. All right. Well, we do just want to say a, a big thank you to our sponsors, Smile on My Mac. You can find all their great software, including PDF Pen, PDF Pen Pro, Text Expander, Disk Label, and all of their other great software over at smileonmymac.com. One Password from Agile Web Solutions is available at onepassword.com, and we really appreciate uh, One Password coming on board. and And great to have two great sponsors together um, for for products that that David and I just really like and and really support. So um, feel very privileged to have them both on board. And I wanted to just thank all our new listeners and our old listeners for, for sticking with us through this as we've developed this show. Um, it's great to have these new listeners with the workflow that we got from from having Merlin on. And I appreciate all the great iTunes reviews we've received. Recently. Yeah, yeah. We've gotten so much great feedback about Merlin's episode. Um, you know, if, if you have a, a comment and you haven't left us a review on iTunes, that's a great place to do it because those those iTunes reviews um, directly correlate to who gets featured in, in iTunes and who doesn't. 
Um, and obviously being featured brings us even more listeners and, and uh, more publicity, and, and that's great. So if you do have a moment, we, we really appreciate your iTunes reviews. So where do you contact us? Well, we have our website over at MacPowerUsers.com, and there you can find links to information about us, links to how to contact us in other ways, um, and links to everything that we've talked about in the various shows. There's show notes for all 24 episodes up there. You can also send us an email at feedback at MacPowerUsers.com. And we're on Twitter, twitter.com slash MacPowerUsers. So what's next? I think it's time that we talked about Hazel. All right. Merlin, I know, is a big Hazel fan, and we talked about that in the Workflows episode. So we're going to be yeah. talking all about Hazel in the next episode. I, I also covered it in the Going Paperless episode. I talked about it. Right. So, uh, but I've got several uses for it. I think we're going to kind of talk through what it does and what you can do with it. If you've got some interesting uses for Hazel, let us know, and maybe we'll include it in the show. And until then, Katie, it's all see you. See you later, David.